The Self-Helpful Podcast is brought to you by Ziegler, your premier source for equipping coaches to help leaders and top performers excel professionally and personally. Visit Ziegler.com and let them inspire your true coaching performance. But you ask the biggest and the tallest for one very simple reason, lifetime conditioning. How many times have you been guilty of this? Somebody introduces you to their child. And if the child is average or above average at height, you'll say, my, what a fine-looking young man. Or my, what a fine-looking young woman. But what about Shorty? Oh, isn't he cute? (laughs) Welcome to The Ziegler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and I'm here to inspire your true performance. From the framework established by Zig Ziegler, one of the top motivators and personal development leaders our world has ever seen who believed we could all be more, do more, and have more. How? By improving ourselves, beginning with how we think about ourselves. So let's break down personal development today. In today's show, we hear a message from Zig Ziglar on how we all succumb to lifetime conditioning. Literally, how we all tend to give more attention and value to say, he uses the example of taller people as opposed to shorter people. It's just an example, but how it affects us all. Well, from this message, I posted on Facebook this question. Do you have any labels attached to you? And one, what positive labels have you lived up to? And or two, what negative negative labels have you had to overcome or maybe want to? And these labels could have been given to you or self-imposed. Well, of course, as always, great, great responses. Tom Ziegler joined me to talk through the comments. So we'll start with Zig's message right after I share some great resources with you. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Okay, here then is about a three and a half minute message from Zig Ziglar on overcoming some of our limiting lifetime conditioning and labels. Here we go. A number of years ago, when the Dallas Times Herald was uh, in publication here in Dallas, there was an article concerning a study done at the University of Pittsburgh. Well, they called me and asked me what I thought about it. And I said, well, I think it's a valid study. They said, you mean you believe it's right? I said, absolutely. That study's been done half a dozen times. I don't know why they keep on doing it. Well, what the study showed was that tall men and women do better in the business world than do short men and women. That's what the study showed. They said, you believe that? Why, certainly I believe it because the data overwhelms it. 
And let me tell you why that is true. Has nothing whatever to do uh, involving the distance between your heel and your head. I mean, now that, that's got nothing whatever to do with it. Has nothing to do with the size of the storage place because they basically are all about the same size. Has everything to do with what you put in it. Now you tell me if you're guilty of this. How many of you have in this live audience have ever been lost? I do not mean confused, but I mean you're in a strange neighborhood and you just flat are lost, okay? You know, Donald Boone never was lost, but he was confused once for about a week, okay? Now, you're lost. You don't know whether to go north, south, east, or west, and you see some kids over there playing on the school ground or on the corner or in somebody's yard. And you drive over there or you walk over there and you ask a question. Now, here's my question to you. Which one of the kids do you ask the question? Biggest or tallest? Might be the dumbest kid in town. might be visiting there, might be an absolute, know nothing about how to get from here to there. But you ask the biggest and the tallest for one very simple reason, lifetime conditioning. How many times have you been guilty of this? Somebody introduces you to their child, and if the child is average or above average in height, you'll say, my, what a fine-looking young man. Or my, what a fine-looking young woman. But what about Shorty? Oh, isn't he cute? (laughs) Or isn't she cute, you know? Well, I've got a cute little dog at home. And you can have cute puppies. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen a cute university president? (laughs) Or a cute admiral or a cute general? Or a cute CEO of a major corporation? You don't relate greatness with cuteness. You just don't. But that word has been drilled in that. And so when a small person, uh, you know, comes in, a short one, uh, many times that's our attitude towards them, and it permeates them over a period of time. I love what Oliver Wendell Holmes said, brilliant jurist, brilliant writer, brilliant scientist. Somebody asked him one time, he's five feet tall. Judge Holmes How does it feel to be small in a society where men and women both are taller and bigger than you are? He had a great sense of humor and a lot of wisdom when he said, I feel kind of like a dime must feel when thrown in with a bunch of nickels. Half as big worth twice as much. Now, what am I getting at? I'm getting about an attitude. I'm getting at the fact that words, yes, they really do make a difference. Well, folks, big thanks as always to the legend of Zig Ziglar. Again, from that clip, I posted a question to Facebook. Uh, And as always, I invite you to join our weekly conversations. Uh, Find and friend me on Facebook at Agent K, as in Kevin, Agent K Miller. I'd be honored to connect with you and gain your insight and experience. It is a gift to other people. It's what makes these shows so rich. Well, the question for this week, again, from Zig's message was, do you have any labels attached to you? One, what positive labels have you lived up to and or Two, what negative labels have you had to overcome or maybe want to? So here, Tom Ziegler and I talk through your amazing comments. All right. So coming from Zig's message on that aspect of lifetime 
you know, conditioning. It really made me think about labels. And so I, on that question, again, do you have any labels attached to you? What positive labels have you lived up to and, or what negative labels have you had to overcome or, or maybe want to? And yeah, Tom, as we were just chatting about labels, I don't think that was the most popular post, but we got some really significant ones. Uh, but I kind of furthered the question then to ask also, what's a negative in your life you've turned into a positive? And we got a bunch of responses there. So it's still the same thread. And I thought we'll dive in, but I wanted to ask you, I'll put you on the spot here since I didn't preface you. Were there, you know, as you think of labels, did you have, have you had, have you had that positive labels that you've been given that you want to live up to? And any negative labels you have been given, and I did caveat that with given by someone else or by yourself, because as you well know, we have so many uh, labels, positive, negative, that we we gave ourselves as well. They didn't come from an outside, an external, per, uh, you know, person uh, per se. So, Tom, what about you? One label that I've I've definitely had is uh, Zig Ziglar's son. I mean, it is really common to be introduced as this is Zig Ziglar's son. Yeah. Right. And so it's kind of interesting. Um, of course, that label was never like given to me by my parents other than with the sense of pride. <laughs> this is my son. Sure, sure. Right. And for a while, I I had the label and it was it wasn't a negative label, but it was a heavy label. Right. Because there's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. And then uh, I, I actually changed my if you've ever gotten an email from me underneath it, it'll say proud son. So I had to reinvent the label to yeah. mean all the right things to me, which is and I am the proud son. And it doesn't mean that I'm striving to be like my dad and his personality, his, you know, God given talents and attributes, because he's unique. Nobody could do that. Um, but I am trying to live up to and live by the same principles and philosophies. So mm -hmm. sometimes we got to rename ourselves and reinvent the label. Yeah. Uh, I think you look at all the greatest characters in the Bible and, and so many of them had a name change kind of the before and after. Absolutely. Right. And so we get labeled as a young child, you know, positively or negatively cute whatever and it comes to mean something and we grow out of it so hey i'm all about relabeling yeah you know it's interesting as i was thinking about this for myself i grew up being told uh, i was impatient because i was impatient and i actually didn't feel like that was a negative i thought yeah man i'm you know going after it and making things happen and took that as a positive and then later in life realized that that was not a, an attribute that was serving me well, uh, in, in my relationships and even in my own head. And yet I still refer to myself as that. And it was probably a year ago when my wife said, honey, you're one of the most patient men I've ever known. We have a hundred children and the patience that you uh, ex extend to them and, and to her. And when I'd really just, I, I looked at that and I stepped back and thought, gosh, in relation to people I know, yeah, I have a lot of patience. I may be impatient driving, which that's still what I'm working on. <laughs> but I remember, I remember <laughs> when I was uh, interviewing for my first job and I go to dad and I say, dad, I don't need the label was experience. Uh, so this is my first job. And I said, dad, what do I say? I don't have any experience. And he said, wait a second, you've got tons of experience. <laughs> 
you've got 16 years of experience of being hardworking and thoughtful mm -hmm. and you complete the task and, and he just went on and on on redefining what I, what I meant by experience. Yeah. Yeah. So that's you just redef redefine what impatient means. I, boy, I'm, I'm happy to run across people who are impatient with the status quo, who are impatient yeah. with, True. you know, the way the people in poverty are treated with impatient with, you know, so many injustices that go on. We need more of that. So impatience not necessarily bad, but I think it's how we see it. Yeah. And in the moment by moment, wherever I'm applying it. So, uh, well, Hey, so let's dive in here. Uh, we've got some really good submissions here. Philippa Channer, she says uh, on the positive side, she was given, I actually want to read two cause they're, they're, they're similar. Tom it says positive. She was helpful as a coworker, productive as a mother, uh, negatives also as a coworker, intimidating. She got labeled. She says, I can be very strong with my presence at work. Right after that, Lisa Castone, she said positive is driven, whether it's as a mom, wife, or professionally, I don't stop. I keep on going like the energizer buzz, bunny, but negatives. I had a family member tell me I was intimidating when it came to my twin boys. It stopped me in my tracks because I go into a mode of getting things done in my home and with my boys and didn't realize that I was intimidating to a family member trying to help us. I have found when I am stressed and overwhelmed, I become very regimented to work through those feelings. And I, I could, uh, definitely see how it intimidated her. She was nervous. She, uh, she couldn't do something uh, or she didn't do something how I wanted it to be. Well, it reminded me in show folks, 603, we interviewed Lisa Grimes, who is a, a high profile CEO, you know, CEO. She's held a lot of different titles and she talked about that as well, that that's a personal issue that she can tend to be very intense and come across as intimidating. Uh, one and two, it was somewhat, and we talked about this on the show, it was a little magnified because she is also a woman. And, and it's just interesting. We had two women right here talk about that and sometimes feeling, Lisa said sometimes that they can get that label feeling a little, uh, that's, it could be a little unfair that if it's a man, it's, it's held as a positive, but as a woman, uh, it can be showcased as a negative. So we talked through that. So interesting to hear that from these two ladies, Tom. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about that. You know, um, if a man has a get it done attitude, you know, they might be considered commanding, you know, yes. like, Hey, well, follow me, let's get this done. And a woman would be intimidating. Um, and it's, it's good perspective to put yourself in the other person's shoe. Right. Yeah. So the moms who are like intimidating to their boys that are other family members, they're responding correctly by saying, well, how do they see me? How can I lead differently or better? Um, but we've all got to do that. So mm -hmm. when, when women are put in leadership, uh, I think we all have to put ourselves in their shoe and go, wait a second, we need to, we'll jump in because I, I, I personally love it when I see somebody who, regardless of gender has a specific task they want to accomplish. And they basically say, come on, let's do it. Follow me. You know, here's what I need you to do, you to do, you to do. I love that. Yeah. Um, and it's because being a leader in my own positions, I know how hard it is. Yeah. Right. And so having somebody to do that, but I, th I think that's a good lesson. I do too. Yeah. It's interesting. It, again, as I think about myself, I have often been given that label in a good way as a guy and, uh, you know, go getter and driven and you know, it feeds my ego. But then again, as I have gotten older and, uh, striving to mature, I realize I don't know if I, 
is that a deathbed testimony to be given to me that I want, as opposed to he was gracious and compassionate and kind. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll apply it where it needs to be, but I, I'd rather be known from my heart. I think Bart, yeah. Bart Decker here says, uh, uh, Bart Dendecker, I am visual, and this goes right to the message we just heard from Zig on just a literal thing. Somebody who's short, they can't change that, and yet how they can sometimes get, uh, you know, treated lesser than because of that. So Bart says, I am visually impaired, and I'm always looking for ways to turn that into my USP. For folks, if you don't know that uh, unique selling uh, proposition. I stopped calling it an impediment, and when I call it a handicap, I explain it. Like it's a golf handicap. You'll appreciate that, Tom. I work as a personal coordinator in an experience museum and supervise a number of guides who are either blind or low vision. In this museum, visitors experience the world of the visually impaired, and this can only be done under the guidance of a blind or otherwise impaired guide. As a part-time teacher, I use my other senses to see what students are doing. They are sometimes surprised by what I am seeing uh, without using my eyes. How beautiful is that, Tom? <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I think it was Helen Keller who said, you know, the biggest tragedy is um, it's not losing your sight, it's losing your vision. Ah, that's a great line. You know, which is which is so true. One of the early hosts of the Ziegler Show podcast back when it was called. And, that's uh, right, Blake. Blake Lindsay, yes. maybe the greatest uh, radio voice in the history of man. Uh, Blake is, is blind. He worked at Ziegler, uh, for a little while and now he's working for lighthouse of the blind. We would be going to the office and he would be going down the hall and he could click his fingers, like snap his fingers and his hearing would pick up the echo and he would know where the doors were off of that. And I was just amazed, uh, and a little bit jealous of that. Not, not jealous of how he had to learn it, but, just this reality that all of us have this untapped, you know, potential in us yeah. uh, that we can do that. And then I read something where uh, you can, you can ride mountain bikes blindfolded down a hill at, at speed and you, you can, your hearing is actually sensitive enough to pick up echolocation to do it. Uh, I'm not going to try that. Are you going to try that? <laughs> I am not going to try that. Who is our, <laughs> our guest? Um, uh, Eric, Eric Weinmayer, Eric yes. Weinmayer, uh, who we interviewed gosh, this year who is blind. And yeah, he has done that. He is mountain biked. He has, uh, the last book was, uh, going to, uh, kayaking down the rapids through the grand Canyon. Uh, and of course he's been to Mount Everest. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I love that line, uh, from Helen Keller that you quoted that he's lost his sight, but absolutely not his vision. Hey, just Tom, uh, Blake lively. So folks, this is as of today we're, we're recording. It is, uh, what is this? November 14th, 2018. And I started as the host of the show, picked the, the show up when it was dormant in November of 2014, Tom. It has been four years wow. uh, of us doing these shows together, uh, encompassing 300 and I think this will be 335 shows. That's a lot of wow. talking online. Uh, what a gift to have done this with you and to uh, join the Ziggler Legacy. But yeah, for folks, if you listen to uh, past that November of 2014, the shows you'll hear hosted by Blake Lively, Blake Lindsay, Lindsay, Blake sorry, Lindsay. Yeah. Blake Lively. It's an actress. I know. <laughs> That's funny. 
And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top-tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to take about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to 100 times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and Air Doctor is just the best. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. All right. Well, Steve Rosen here, uh, who you well know, he said his label is mental illness, PTSD, anxiety, and depression. And he says, it now gives me a deeper appreciation for when I have waves of happiness and peace of mind. It gives me perspective and empathy because we all have something we struggle with. Mine just happens to be a brain that gives me a hard time now and then. I believe it has helped me become a more compassionate and kind human, which is something I strive for. And folks, just so you know, Steve's retired military and went through a lot. And he talks about it very openly on Facebook. He's a common contributor here to these shows. But Tom, this goes back to the study that in essence, you and I have talked about here that your dad and you often cite the study that was done of world leaders, CEOs, you know, powerful, influential people. And such a high percentage of them came from, you know, handicap or illness or, you know, challenges in their life, just like Steve's talking about and how they obviously, if it didn't overcome them, which it overcomes a lot of people, but if they can overcome, manage it. It gives them strength, obviously, 
that the rest of us do not have. And that showcases in their influence, their leadership. And you see that I know every single day, Tom, people who are taking like what Steve has done here, taking a, a handicap in essence, we could call it that and using it as a, well, turn it into a superpower. Yeah. You know, I was having a conversation with uh, one of my very best friends and my agent and he published dad's books. And he also, if you were to name the who's who of Christian authors uh, over the last 50 years, he's published over half of them or, you know, 50 out of the top 100 for sure. And I said, I said to him, I said, Bruce, you always talk about how, you know, my dad, Zig Ziglar, was kind of one of a kind and that we just didn't know how good he had it. What do you mean by that? And he said that he has very good relationships with so many of these authors and a big majority of them, whatever they're known as an expert in, uh, whatever challenge it is that they help people overcome, the reason they're so good at it is it's a personal battle they fight all the time. Yeah. Right. And it's just hit home, you know, and I think dad's personal battle was a low self-image, not knowing who he was and whose he was. Uh, and so he overcame that. And I think that's what he helps people ultimately figure out is, wait a second, you know, you're created for a purpose yeah. and you've got, you know, mighty things to accomplish in your life and you're not alone. Let's draw that out. Let's figure out how to build it. Um, yeah. And so whatever your struggle has been in, whatever label you've been given, uh, whether it's, you know, PTSD or being short or whatever, the things you learn out of that are the things that make a difference in the world. Uh, the world leader study was so many of them grew up in households where they had a brother or sister, or a parent who had a major disability, and then they had to adjust their whole life to serve and support someone else. Mm -hmm. Gosh, what a, you know, and then they grow up and they change the world. So mm -hmm. I think it's, it's really just speaks to, you know, when we, when we start to dig in, uh, are we going to, is it going to be the thing that holds us down or is it going to be the pile of stuff we stand on to change the world? Absolutely. You know, Tom, I want us to, I want to, I want us to take just a second on this issue. Uh, and I'm going to use Steve as an example. So here's a guy who is admittedly suffering from this, this issue. Uh, a lot of people have great counsel to give, and will discount themselves because they are still struggling. They don't feel like, Hey, I've arrived. and I've completely overcome it. Steve's a great example of that. Now on the other side though, actually, I'm just going to pose this to you question uh, to you, Tom, this question, you know, on the other side, uh, I mean, he is leading though. I mean, he has a level of overcoming. He is a leader. He is leading and influencing people for the better, using that struggle to help them, even as he still struggles with it. Now, we also have some people who are in the pit of struggle, and it is hard to lead and influence them from that standpoint. But I, I, I just want to address that issue that I know is a, an Achilles heel for a lot of people of thinking, gosh, I can't lead people though. I can't help people. I can't be a voice here because I haven't fully arrived. I haven't fully overcome it. I'm still struggling with it. And it, you said something a minute ago that reminded me of that, Tom, just speak to that of, we can't, we can't be perfect. We can't all have leaders that are just from perfection because none of us are perfect. So we ha have to have an aspect of overcoming, obviously an ability and, and not be totally overwhelmed by it, but 
man, don't discount yourself because you haven't yet arrived. Right. You know, dad has a great quote. He says, when it comes to goal setting and dreaming, you, you go as far as you can. And then when you get there, you'll be able to see further. Mm-hmm. And he was a believer and I'm a believer that none of us have arrived. Right. We, yeah. we all, no matter where we are on our journey, there's more to be done. And so what that does is it keeps us in this good place of perspective and humility, you know, to look back and be grateful and, you know, maybe even a little bit proud of what we've accomplished, Mm -hmm. but we're not comparing ourselves to who we are today. We're comparing ourselves to the person that God created us to become. And that's different because we all have untapped resources. We all have untapped potential inside of us. And so what I would say to somebody in the middle of the, let's look at the person in the pit Mm -hmm. and in the person who's, who is self, you know, you know, they don't appreciate what they have done. If you're in the pit and you're suffering with PTSD, God, you need a friend like Steve, Mm -hmm. right? Who battles, even though it's hard, uh, who gets up again and says, you know what? Today's great. Tomorrow might suck. (laughs) You know what I mean? But, but doesn't mean I'm not going to get up and, and go do everything I can and, and realize that sometimes I just got to slow down for a day. Yeah. And then for those of, you know, who are listening, who really overcome a ton, uh, who are really in a great place and you're having influence, you, you know, the journey's not over. I mean, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but the good thing is, is that if we're always progressing, if we're always looking at how we can improve just a little bit and have that perspective, then we need to reach down and help others up to that higher level. Right. I mean, that's the greatest thing we can do. Significance is when you help someone else be, do or have more than they thought possible. And I can't tell you how many people feel awkward reaching down to help somebody up when they're the perfect person to do it. Yes. Right. Because they just climb the same steps. And, you know, that's a time where you don't, you know, you you don't have to sit there and brag about, hey, look where I am. But it is a time where you reach down and help somebody else up. Yeah. Yes. I, uh, Dale, Dale Dotson, who's one of my mentors and uh, I would go to him and, and I would say, you know, we have this thing, but I just don't think we should do it or I should do it. And he would look at me and he'd turn his cock his head and he'd say, are you kidding me? <laughs> that are you kidding me line? I could still hear his voice. Yeah. And basically what he was saying is, is the very reason you think you can't is the very reason you should. Right. And that's usually most of us. The, the, the thing that would, that's on our heart, that's God's size, that's bigger than we can do. The thing that we kind of back away from because we've, we've done something, we've made a mistake, we have, you know, some issue from the past. Gosh, we say that's the reason we can't, but it's usually the reason we should. And that's what I love about Steve. I mean, how easy would it be to say, you know what? I can't go live on a daily basis and teach people these things because who knows what tomorrow is going to be? Yeah. Well, it turns out it's the very reason he should because now he has an audience of people who were fighting the same fight and they get courage from him when he rises up and then they go and support him when he's having a bad day. I mean, how isn't that what life is supposed to be about? I love that. Yeah, I do too. Tom, you just, you just gave me a new spin on an old scripture that, well, here, Luke 12, 48 out of the Bible, it says to whom much is given from him, much is expected. So up until now, 
I have taken that scripture as a scripture speaking to abundance of a positive abundance to whom much is given, whether that's money or uh, revelation or vision or ability or privilege um, even. And there's a great video that's been going around the internet on privilege where this guy makes a statement on those who are privileged, those who are not uh, that my family and I watched. It made me think about that, but that is where I've taken that scripture from. And yet thinking about Steve here or some of these people who are just powerful individuals have so much to give Eric Weinmayer, like we talked about, or, uh, uh, Nick, uh, Vujicic, you know, these guys, I mean, he has no arms and no legs, but those guys view that they have been given so much, uh, John O'Leary, who was burned, uh, nearly burned to death. And he's a guy who says, I would let it happen again. I would choose it to happen again for what it has given me in my lifetime. Those guys view their trial, the tragedy that we would call it as they have been given so much in that that so much is expected. What a different way to look at the hardships of our life to say, if we have been, if God has allowed those things, maybe we have been given so much and now so much is expected for us to sow back in that somebody who hadn't had much happen to them, they don't have a whole lot to give. Yeah. I remember reading a, uh, I, it could have been reader's digest or guidepost story. It was just one of those stories. And it was about a young teenage girl who became very self-conscious of her mother, her mother had both of her hands were badly burned. Mm. And so she told her mom, Hey, you know, when, when we're with my friends or we're out, I want you to wear gloves. And so she started wearing gloves. And a few years after that, uh, she realized she'd never asked her mother, why were her hands burned? It was kind of like a hidden secret in the family. Wow. And it turned out that her hands were burned, saving her daughter from a fire. Oh. And so suddenly the daughter's perspective changed. Yeah, that's a paradigm won. shifter. If I've ever heard one, the daughter was like, you're never wearing gloves again. Those are the most beautiful hands I've ever seen. Oh, that is beautiful. And I think, I think, you know, we tend to think the world is going to react like the daughter who didn't know any better. When the reality is, is that what you have there is the most beautiful thing you can offer the world, which is your scar. And as a, as a believer in Christ, I mean, you know, do I, do I love the perfected image of Christ or do I love the nail scarred hands? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is, uh, that's significant. I got some good revelation for me on this show right there. Um, here's another one though, that man hits close to home. Jim Smith. He says, being told that his label is being told as a kid, I was too dumb to go to college and later getting my bachelor's degree in Bible missions, Christian education. Uh, you know, what a beautiful story. Of course, we hear that people who were given some negative label and they work to overcome that. But Tom, it just hit me as a father that a struggle that I, I have or that I'm very conscious of. And it goes back to your dad's statement of remember that failure is an event, not a person. I have to work to deal with my children sometimes in areas where I'm frustrated with them. And I'm tempted to say, you are this, you are being this and, and address them as opposed to their behavior. Uh, you know, so here's a guy, a grown person saying he was told as a kid, he was too dumb to go to college. I mean, who on earth told him that was it a parent was it a teacher? And was, was it a statement they believed in? Was it something said in anger? Was it an offhanded remark? I don't know, but look at this. Here he is today posting this online. 
uh, the power, well, it comes back to the power of words, which we've been uh, really studying with Mr. Zig Ziglar for a while. But that is, to me, it was just a call to, man, I have got to watch how I phrase things. Look at the power of our words. Yeah. Well, and, you know, we talk about the crab pot mentality, which is, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you have a crab in a pot, it can climb out. But you put two crabs in a pot the one who's trying to climb out will be pulled down by the other one that's in it. And unfortunately that's, that's the way a lot of people get their uh, self-worth is I'm better than you. You know, they, they put it on a, on a thing. And what we always teach is, gosh, you know, when we call, when we need to call something out, it's always behavior. Mm -hmm. It's the thing that you have control over. You don't have control over how smart you are. You don't have control over, you know, your gifts and talents, what's innate in you. But what you do have control over is your attitude, how hard you work to develop them, uh, the compassion and love and the way you treat other people. These are all things you have control over. And so we always, especially with kids, you know, we want to encourage and support around things that they have control over. Mm -hmm. So being too dumb, gosh. You know, yeah, that's just, that's ridiculous. I wish, you know, if intelligence was linked to correlation with income, you know, the world would look a lot different than it is right now. True. <laughs> that is so true. I mean, we have how many classic stories like uh, Einstein where they were labeled as dumb or retarded, literally as kids. Yeah. And yet uh, we see where they ended up. Well, speaking of children, I happen to have one right here, Caleb Miller. That is my oldest son. And he said, as far as a label, his was, I'm quiet. I was part of that label, Tom. So there's one that's right in my face. I was part of that. Uh, He said, I grew up with the mentality of it being a bad thing. I was too quiet, reserved, antisocial, even boring. And Tom, you can appreciate that in relation to myself and my wife, who you know that we are on the outgoing side, uh, or expressive at least. But Caleb says, but I've learned to use it as a strength and a positive. I am quiet. I'm a good listener. I'm thoughtful, contemplative, and observant. I'd rather be too quiet than too loud and annoying. And the world needs more good listeners. As the quote goes, I want to listen to truly understand, not to merely respond. Being quiet is so much more of a strength than it is a weakness because I choose to see it and treat it as so. Boom. How's that for turning a label around. He was the one that taught us. I'm I'm the guy, I'm the person, the dad who would be more likely, literally I was, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say this theoretically. I did. Don't just sit there, do something. And he turned it around for us. And it's one of the things that I need desperately for my life, for my own balance, which is Kevin. Uh, Don't just do something, sit there. I got that from my son. I'm, I'm still learning from him. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, Caleb, for you, man, I'm the quiet introvert as well. When I'm around a group of people, it might be 30 minutes before I say anything. Mm. So, um, and it, and it's, and it's funny because, uh, here's a trick. It's the long pause and because something profound is about to come out. And so mm. I, I call it, I purposefully sometimes will call attention to my quietness, uh, so that when, whatever it does say, it sounds very, very profound, even though it's not, it's just, <laughs> okay, buddy. Uh, uh-uh. it is. I know you, I've hung out with you too much. It is. And, uh, I, I greatly appreciate that. 
Brian Lynchard here. He says, I've often been a griper and a complainer, but when I started my own business a few years ago, I began to realize that difficulties often created opportunities. I got to the point at one time that I would actually smile at difficulties instead of griping and complaining about them. Man, that brings me to thinking about your dad, Tom. And I so often, and my worst, so, so my, my, uh, kryptonite, I would say with my attitude is honestly, it's just so shameful. It's driving. I, I do not. It's a good thing. I live in a small town where my commute is short and there's usually not anything on the road except, you know, elk and a moose. Uh, <laughs> because when I get into traffic, I, I, it's so terrible. My kids know this about me. How dad is, how, how fast does daddy drive as fast as the person in front of him, slowing him down? How terrible is that for a testimony? I, I struggle with my attitude right there. And to me, it's a, it's such a tangible spot. And I, and I hear your dad on those tapes saying, you know, that when somebody pulls out in front of you or they're going too slow in my case, all that yelling and screaming, and do you do whether literally or inside your head, you do that because it really helps, doesn't it? Doesn't that change everything? And, you know, of course, what a joke is that? It doesn't. I'm just infecting and poisoning myself. But, man, where do we have examples in the culture of that, per- of that perspective? We take the wrong and we feel justified in reacting to it. Yeah, I tell you, you know, a couple of things here. My uncle Bernie, Bernie Loftick, the David Loftick story in the book, See at the Top. So some of you will be, be familiar with that. Very, very successful businessman. I said, Uncle Bernie, how did you do well? How did you do so well in the money? And he said, simple. He said, whenever there was a problem, I would run to it. Huh. And I go, well, give me an example. And so one of his businesses sold high-end appliances like refrigerators and, and stoves and those kind of things. And his, one of his biggest competitors went out of business and they were going to flood the market with like a million dollars worth of inventory. So he had a disaster on his hands, right? Yeah. He was going to have to compete at a lower price. Instead, he smiled just like Brian said you should. He went straight to the bank, got a loan to buy all of the excess inventory that that company was going to unload. And then went to his very best customers who, who he wanted to do something nice for, but who wouldn't, uh, you know, wouldn't destroy his business. And he solved three problems at once. He, he solved a company going out of business problem. He solved a bank problem and he solved his own customer hmm. challenge and marketing problem. And so I think just the perspective of, you know, labeling something problem or opportunity, right. Pro, you know, so uncle Bernie just said, man, the money's in the problems. Well, uh, here's some, uh, we got more great examples here. These two are very similar. Lisa Castone. She says, uh, professionally, I took the negative experience at my current job and worked hard on self-reflection and emotional intelligence. And we'll be leaving in December. I accepted a role more in alignment with my career goals in nursing leadership as a nurse manager for surgical services, as well as accepting a second role as an adjunct uh, faculty role for nursing students at a nearby university. Teaching has always been a love of mine. So the fact that I get to take on both roles is such a blessing. Right after that, Jason Vandehey, he says, bad management pushed me to find a new job, doing something more interesting and better suited to my personality now than ever before. Both of those, I mean, Tom, we've got, I mean, we've, we've got sitcoms and, and comics on bad work environments. And we have a culture that it's become the norm to just poke fun and almost expect that. And yet to see two people like these who took that opportunity to increase their abilities. I love Lisa saying, 
Uh, she worked on, on self-reflection and emotional intelligence uh, to take those and increase themselves and go find better jobs and look back at that as kind of what we just talked about as a, maybe it was a blessing in disguise to have that hard place, that hard circumstance. So it would push them to better themselves and go find something better as opposed to sitting there and back to our, our, our guy earlier, griping and complaining. Yeah. What's the greatest enemy of best? Is it, is it good or, you know, right, right, right. And, and so many times, I mean, the, the lure of today's world, especially right now when the economy is going good and, you know, unemployment for most parts of the country is low is I call it, it's the zombie syndrome. You know, we can just go in, do the minimum fit in, don't cause any waves, never be stretched. And, that, that oftentimes breeds a work environment that's not good. Yeah. And so the greatest thing that can ever happen to us personally is when we're forced into a position, wait a second, you know, you've, you've got to either, A, I'm not going to live in an environment like this anymore, so I'm going to determine my own self-worth, my own position, my own strengths, I'm going to develop that. Or B, you get forced out because management doesn't know any better but the consequence is, is you've got to go and develop what you should have been developing all along, which is a good thing. So yeah. I like it. I do too. I do too. Um, Sabrina here, John, Sabrina Jones, some personal turbulence during my childhood abuse and moving around nearly every three to five months on average as an adult for the last five years and losing my fiance to a cerebral aneurysm 11, 11 years ago have all given me a solid foundation for two consistent points of strength empathy and patient patience. The previous rough roads have given me an ability to connect with people. I've learned you never know what someone else has been through. That helps tremendously in my field when working with patients as I chip away at my goal of becoming a physical therapist. How profound is that? She cites off these three harsh circumstances and says it gave me a solid foundation for two consistent points of strength. I mean, there it is, Tom. I and mean, that's the, that's the deal maker right there. Are we, is she a victim of those? Uh, and she's saying, no, they gave me strength. And again, we say there, and I, I say this, and I know there's people here listening that have had hard things happen. That it is really difficult to accept that. And cause they were a victim just like Sabrina here, but we just have two choices, Tom. Right. And, uh, as hard as it may be, as much compassion as we want to have, it's either going to overcome you or you're going to overcome it. Yeah. Well, I'll just, you know, one of the things that we do is our Ziegler Speakers Institute. And we had an incredible class that just came through. One of the ladies' names is Precious Joy. <laughs> Dizon, D-I-Z-O-N, Precious Joy. She's from the Philippines. Uh, she's missing her left arm, uh, wow. like at the elbow. These are birth defects. And you know, her legs. So she gets around on a scooter mm. and Kevin, I've never sat in a room with somebody who filled it up like she did and young person. So she speaks all the time to kids. She is the embodiment of her name. When you see her for like three seconds, she go, that is precious joy. And so she's using these, these things that are against her to reach people who can't be reached any other way. There is no more at risk group of people you know, than young people who are in a hostile environment, they're coming from broken homes in their head. They have their own issues, right? Whether they look normal or not, they don't feel normal. 
And then another lady in there, uh, Kimberly Thompson, amazing. She she's a foster parent and reaches out to that community. And she she shared a fact that I didn't know. 50% of foster parents who go through all the training and do foster parenting for a year quit after their first year. Mm. And yet, if they have community support, if people from their church, their community, their family will just help them out a little, meaning cook one meal a month or come in and relieve them for a few hours so they can have a date, that dropout rate goes from 50% to 5%. Wow. Okay. And both of these women are out there leading a charge based on the personal struggles and wounds and hurts that they've had to go through uh, to get there. And so I just see the, the, um, you know, the, the incredible impact that they're having. That is significant. And as you know, we've had a lot of kids in and out of our home. I, I relate to that one. That's, I did not know that statistic though. That's, that is harsh. Yeah. And what does that mean? It means that if you know somebody who's a foster family, if you just agree to take them a meal a week or, you know, every two weeks, go hang out at their house for three hours so they can go on a date. Yeah. Right. That will decrease the likelihood of them bailing out after the first year from 50% to 5%. Wow. It's it's not even, not all, not everybody is cut out to be foster parents. I mean, that is a Mm. special, special type of person. Uh, yeah, that's but dramatic. Bringing a meal a week over to somebody, hmm. we can we can do that. I think it speaks to those out there who are doing such things too, who are fostering that the the need for community. As you're here in this show, I think the show before this or right before we had uh, with Lori Harder on uh, a tribe called Bliss, and she's talking about the power of our tribe, of our friends, of our support group. Uh, well, here's three in a row that mention addiction. Travis Stevens, he says, addiction, divorce, and bad health all led me to faith, hope, and far more meaningful love, uh, as well as continuing discipline and ever improving my body, mind, and spirit. And then Karen Little, she says, addiction. While I should have died from it, God spared and saved my life. I am now working diligently to express to people the same grace and mercy God had on me, as well as being careful not to judge and to help those who are where I once was. And then Nate Wilson says, a lot of tools I use to obtain drugs in active addiction are the same things I use to drive me towards positive goals today, like writing books, networking, and not worrying about what others think. Uh, It's that driving mentality that I can't be told no, I guess you could say. Uh, Addiction, yeah, I think that's that's, that's growing ever in our culture, and here are people who have come out of it. And I I think that's got to be one of the highlight issues of people who actually come out of that because it's so difficult who then have such a heart and such an ability to help other people. I, I, I in a way that, that the rest of us don't, I, I don't, uh, I mean, I think I have a very addictive nature. I haven't fallen to one. Uh, and because of that, I, I don't have the ability to reach out. Like somebody just mentioned to go, uh, Sabrina with empathy and with patience with people. That is a rare, rare gift that seems to only come at the hands of some pretty hard tragedies in life. But when these folks turn them for good, and again, Tom, I know every week you are surrounded by these superheroes. Yeah. We've got a, a, you know, our certification class starts today on the day we're recording it. And 
there's going to be 18 superheroes in there. Mm -hmm. Um, and they all have a story. And one of the things that I love about what we do in certification is we basically get to the point where so many people who are doubting whether they have what it takes, you know, because they feel, uh, that they've done things that disqualify them. We're like, no, 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 no. What's happened is, is, you know, you, you've suffered the consequences sometimes of bad choices, but now you are the most qualified person there is Mm. to help somebody else out. Right. And you are, you are forgiven, you're worthy and you're able, Mm -hmm. and it's okay if it's not easy. Right. Because it's not supposed to be easy. The, the, like dad said, the whole pump story, you know, the deeper the well, the longer it takes to get the water out. But boy, it sure is sweet and pure when you get it. And and so what we got to do is convince the people to pump uh, because the water's worth it. What a great exercise, Tom, for us to all do. There's nobody that can't sit down, do a list and say, what are the hardships of your life? Where have you been victimized? What, you know, yada, yada, all these negative things that have happened to you. And what does that give you ability, an ability to do that, that others don't have to do? And as we just talked about a minute ago, addiction, I haven't struggled with addiction to that degree, but I have had a child uh, in long-term uh, hospital and medical issues that almost died multiple times. It's something I've experienced. I understand that, man. I can relate to somebody going through that. I have a heart for that, that I would not have otherwise, but to list those out again, back to that scripture of to whom much has been given. I've been given that trial. And from that I can give where I otherwise would not. I mean, that's not Pollyanna. That's just taking the realities of life and saying, how can we use them as fuel instead of an anchor? Um, that's a book title right there. We should write that, Tom. Yeah. Hey, thank you. Uh, everybody who submitted, it's just such a gift that people are willing to be so authentic, so honest, so open and make these shows so rich because everybody who speaks is resonating with tens of thousands of people out there that have had a similar thing happen and you just inspire their day. So it's a gift and it's always a gift to do this with you, Tom. Thank you, brother. What a blessing. And uh, we're lucky. I mean, you know, we... <laughs> lucky blessed because we have so many people who care. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just tell an old Ziegler story. Mm-hmm. There was somebody, uh, like three years ago, they posted a negative comment about dad on the Zig- Ziegler Facebook fan page. And the, the, the quote was, you know, uh, money's not the most important thing, but it is reasonably close to oxygen. And their response was, Oh, that Zig Ziglar, I knew he was just about the money. And all of our fans, you know, back then it was a couple million. Now it's almost 5 million. But they were writing comments like, have you ever read one of his books? Have you ever heard him speak? Have you listened to or watched any of his audios or videos on YouTube? And, you know, that was the response level. Well, to make a long story short, about four hours later, the lady comes back on and apologizes. And she says, I didn't, I didn't know who Zig Ziglar was based on your comments. I went and researched it. He's the real deal. Mm. And so what is that? What's the lesson there? The lesson isn't that she changed her mind. That's awesome. The lesson is, is that the people who supported us responded to her with love and kindness and empathy with just a viewpoint that you just don't understand. Right. And so that's the thing is when you've been through the fire, you understand. Mm -hmm. And when you can realize that really that's all people need in their response is they need a tone. The tone says, look, 
I, I don't know what you're going through, but I understand some of what you're feeling because I've felt the same way. Here's my story. And when you're able to associate with a group of people who love others, man, there's not a bigger blessing in the world. So I just want to say thank you to our podcast listeners and all of our fans. Yes. Yes. As you just mentioned with your dad being the real deal, we all get to go out now and be the real deal. Uh, I'm ready. You ready, Tom? Ready. All right, let's go. Well, there you go, friends. I trust this has you thinking about your own labels, the ones, again, you've been given by others and the ones you have given yourself. It'd be great to give yourselves even five minutes of silence and focus to think about and write down some of those labels, good and bad. And if you got value from the show, would you gift us? Let us know. Leave a review in iTunes for The Ziggler Show. A rating is great and a review is even better. Coming up next in show 631, here's the premise that all yours and mine, our limits, all the handicaps of our minds, all our anchors, Achilles heels, everything holding us back from our full potential come from a primary source, which to me, it sounds too much already, right? I mean, just another claim to be something that's the Holy Grail, which I I just always bristle against. But after this conversation, it is pretty convicting. If it's not the primary thing, I've come to believe it is one of the top primary things. And it is unresolved trauma in your life. And before you say, hey, I've never really had any great trauma. Uh, You know, I've never been abused, never lacked for much. Put it this way. You could have come from a privileged home like I did with loving parents like I did. And just tried to live up to high expectations. That became somewhat of an anchor for you that you feel imprisoned in, or maybe you got tired of and just gave up at some point. The, the point though, overall is we all have limiting factors and beliefs rooted in our past programming and wiring. And until we deal with those, we're going to be handicapped, uh, if not fully stuck. So my guest is Mastin Kip. He's a renowned author and speaker recognized as a thought leader for the next generation as said by Oprah Winfrey. I tell you what, I was just flat out impressed with Mastin and I think you will be too. His message is significant. It's one of those that has stuck with me and I keep talking about as the weeks go by. So join us. We'll talk about it together. It is significant till then. Thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. Quality sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed senses your movements and automatically adjusts to help keep you both effortlessly comfortable. And it's temperature balancing, so you stay cool. So you're at your best for yourself and those you care about most. Life-changing sleep, only from Sleep Number. It's our ultimate Sleep Number event. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed, plus special financing ends Monday. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only. 
right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial.